This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode, exciting episode of the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. Richard, it's always good to have you with us. Well, thanks. Thanks. It's always good to be with you, Sam. Oh, well, stop it. <laughs> uh, if you're just joining us, we're doing a series um, on the life of Elijah. And uh, we're looking, uh, a lot of the, the stuff that we're going to be pulling from is from a, a book that Richard wrote uh, a couple of years ago called Living Out of the Overflow. And we really just look at uh, what did it take for Elijah to become Elijah? We see, yeah. we, we know Elijah has been, uh, you know, he's famous for, for going against the prophets of Baal, for, for delivering a tough message, for praying a drought and then ending a drought through prayer. And, and so we see all these highlight reels of, of Elijah and we think, yeah, well, that's, I mean, he was Elijah. Uh, but what we're discovering through this series is that uh, uh, God did some very specific things in his life to get him to become Elijah, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you listened to last week's episode, uh, we just, we started that to see um, the journey that Elijah was on. And, and so this week we're continuing along that line. And uh, Richard, uh, what were the next things we see that that, that uh, success doesn't always follow um, obedience with God? Well, yeah, and I'd say... Uh, not Maybe it's not success. It's not the right word. But yeah, but... Uh, um, uh, things don't always get easier or better. Well, yeah, when we, when we are obedient to God, um, we might not... Uh, see the next stage as a blessing right away. Yeah. Elijah, as we saw, he preached a sermon faithfully in 1 Kings 17, uh, verse 1, and he ends up in a wilderness as a result, a fugitive. Uh, And so then he gets to the wilderness. And by the way, one of the, I mentioned last week, one of the words that's always important to notice is the word then, because it reflects timing. And whenever you see the timing of God in particular, that's crucial. Uh, we've seen this a number of times, but with God, what you do is important, but equally is when you do it and how you do it. Uh, you can do the right thing, but do it at the wrong time. And that's why you need to know the timing of God, the ways of God. Mm-hmm. But there's another word that's also very important, and that's the word so, S-O. Uh, and w- you find this several times in this chapter where God will give a very difficult assignment. If you can imagine... Elijah just risked his life, preached a sermon that's probably going to get him killed. And, uh, and so then when God speaks to him next, you'd think that he might say, well done, Elijah, and here's your reward. Yeah. Instead, God says, now run for the hill, run for the, the little brook Cherith, get out in the wilderness or else you're going to be killed. Uh, and I could imagine some other Bible characters that would have entered into a long discussion about why this isn't fair. Why should I have to do that? And I've, right. here I've been faithful to you. But uh, what you'll see several times in this chapter is that it'll say, for instance, in verse 5, it says, So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And it's just a little word in English, so. So Elijah has just been told news he didn't expect. Here he's expecting a reward. Instead, he's being told your life is going to get harder. Instead, well, at of, the very least, you know, good job. Yeah, but know. it just run. We don't yeah. have time to delay. <laughs> uh, and but the the fact is, we all have souls in our life, 
And I would say every time you know what God wants you to do, there's a so. So when God speaks to you and says, you need to get up earlier each morning and spend time with me, then there's a so. The next morning, so Sam set his alarm for 15 minutes earlier and he got up and he began spending more time with God. Or so months went by and nothing changed because he's just not a morning person. Um, Or you go to church and you're convicted about a broken relationship and you know God is saying, I want you to be reconciled. So you called that person and scheduled lunch. Uh, You began praying fervently for an opening, an opportunity to be made right. Uh, There's always a so in our life. Mm -hmm. And and how you handle those so's will largely determine the quality of your life. Um, Because every time you know what God wants, there's a so, and now it waits for your response. And what you find with Elijah is, It'll repeatedly say, so he arose and he went and he did according to the word of the Lord. Mm. So he, he gets out to the wilderness and then ravens come every morning, bring him food and bring him food every evening, twice a day. And again, I think you need to learn to read the Bible with what my father always called a sanctified imagination. And by that, it doesn't mean that you make things up, but it, what it means is you're, you're trying to see things uh, with a fresh perspective. You're trying to ask questions uh, in such a way that things come to the surface uh, that you perhaps hadn't noticed before. And so uh, one of the questions I always have is, so why did God send food twice a day? Right. When, when, when the Israelites are in uh, the wilderness, God sends manna once a day, just every morning. And that manna that comes down in the morning, that's enough to last all day long. But uh, with Elijah, my question is, why, doesn't, why don't the ravens just bring enough food to last all day? Is God just short on ravens at the time? Uh, have there been budget yeah. cutbacks? And uh, now you've got to send two different uh, rounds of ravens to get enough food over to that one prophet? There were, there were lots of prophets in, you know, in the yeah, vicinity, yeah. so they uh, working double duty. So it's like, why twice a day? And what I have concluded is... Uh, why does God do, do something a little different with Elijah than he does with the Israelites? Well, you have to ask yourself, what was God's purpose for the Israelites? Uh, when those Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness, what were God's plans for them? And basically, he didn't have any. I mean, it was that they perish. They were just spending time waiting until their funeral rolled around. For 40 years, the Israelites just went to funerals. God mm. said, uh, you have no more future. There is no more plan for you. Uh, there is no second chance for you. You're just going to die, and it'll be your children that I'm going to bring into the, to the land of Canaan. Uh, so bringing food once a day, just subsistence living, was all that God provided for them. But, uh, but for Elijah, his biggest work, his greatest work, still lie ahead, lay ahead. And so God is, not, God is preparing Elijah. He was simply helping the Israelites survive, uh, but uh, Elijah's being prepared. Yeah. So why would it be important that twice a day, right on schedule, like clockwork, his food arrives, so you can see those ravens coming on the horizon right on time, just like they always did? What was Elijah learning day by day, twice a day? He was learning that uh, God provides everything he needs right on schedule. God's never late. Uh, And why would that be important for Elijah? Because in the next chapter, he's going to need God to send fire. 
and he's not going to need God to send fire just any time in the next couple of weeks. He's going to need that fire right now, or he's dead. Mm. How could how could Elijah be so confident that when he needed fire, it would come right when he needed it? Well, twice a day, the whole time he was in the wilderness, a God was coming right when he needed it, providing right what he exactly what he needed. Yeah. And so here Elijah is in a wilderness thinking, boy, God's wasting my life uh, and wasting my skills here. I'm all alone. There's no one even for me to influence for good. (laughs) And yet God would say, I'm teaching you some of the most important lessons that you will use in your ministry uh, to learn to trust in my timing and to trust in my provision. Uh, And by the way, it's interesting as well. Elijah is at this time, undoubtedly the greatest preacher that God has at his disposal. I mean, he preached a sermon and the rains stop for three and a half years. I mean, that's pretty powerful preaching. Yeah. Uh, if you and, and here God wants to bring revival to Israel, and Elijah has a ministry of revival. So you think, if if you've got an Elijah at your disposal, then uh, where would you position him? Where would you have him serve? Wouldn't you put him in the biggest church in the country? Wouldn't you have him preaching in front of, uh, of the capital? or at least in the business district to influence uh, the influencers. But where does God put Elijah? In a wilderness hmm. where you don't even need to preach any sermon. There's nobody to preach to. It's, I always kind of laugh and think uh, if Elijah was trying to determine God's will by taking a, 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 a survey of his strengths, if he'd taken a strengths finder uh, yeah. quiz, test, he would have discovered, oh, my gift is preaching. So I guess I need to position myself where I can preach to the most people possible, or at least to the most influential people. Or at least any people. Uh, any people. <laughs> but what does God say? Yeah, you're, you're, uh, you've done well preaching, so I'm going to put you in a position that doesn't require any preaching at all. It, it makes no sense. Uh, it seemed like a complete waste of the best servant that God had. Yeah. And it may well be that some of our listeners are feeling that, God is grossly underusing you as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a passion to do this. I have a passion to write, but no one, no publisher wants me to, uh, they don't want to publish a book of mine, or I, I want to preach, but I'm without a church right now, or I have a heart for this kind of ministry, or I have a desire to lead or start a company, but uh, God's just not opening the door for me to do that. God, why have you given me all these gifts and passions and then not provided me an outlet to use them? Well, you got to understand God prepares you before he uses you. And uh, Elijah is being prepared in a wilderness. A, a, a day of preaching will come, but uh, there's other things God wants to build into his life first. And so you might think, uh, well, things can't get any worse than uh, being in a wilderness, being fed twice a day by ravens. Yeah, but you'd be wrong. But, but you'd be wrong, yeah. But, uh, but before we, we find out just how wrong we are, <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll just see how much worse is it going to get for Elijah. Living Out of the Overflow is a six-week online Bible study based on the popular book by Dr. Richard Blackaby. The online class is facilitated by the Blackaby team and features new teaching videos, an online discussion forum, and a live stream Q&A with Dr. Richard Blackaby. Register at blackaby.org slash online classes. Email online classes at blackaby.org to find out more about group rates and private classes for your church or small group. 
If you like what we're doing and would like to support our work, please consider making a donation. Even a little bit will go a long way toward keeping this podcast going for the months and years to come. To support this podcast, click on the link in the show notes. We are truly grateful for our wonderful community of listeners. Well, we we find Elijah in the the backside of the desert uh, after being obedient to God. And, and, uh, you know, just when we think life couldn't get any worse Uh, for Elijah. uh, It does. It does. Yeah. Don't ever say, well, things couldn't get worse. Yeah. (laughs) Because there's usually ways where it can. So When it it rains, it pours. So we're in uh, 1 Kings 17, verse 8. It says, uh, well, verse 7, it says, then the brook dried up. And so here you are in a desert, uh, and now you've got no more water. Uh, And it's hard to airlift water with ravens. Yeah. You can airlift food, apparently, but water is a bit more of a challenge. And so so then verse 8 says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, uh, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. And again, we, we've seen this before, but that word then is, is giving timing. And so when does God tell Elijah, okay, leave the wilderness, move on? Uh, well, he doesn't tell him that until the water dries up. Now, the water doesn't just dry up all of a sudden. It's been trickling and getting yeah. smaller and smaller day by day. until. And you can imagine Elijah every day going down to get some water and seeing at first there's a little creek there. It's not too hard to you dip his almost, cup in. You could almost and get say some it was water. an oasis. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but then it gets down to a trickle, and he's starting to. He has to be thinking, boy, if things continue like this, uh, I'm going to be a big trouble here. And and now he's having to push his face right down into the mud, trying to suck up enough moisture just to quench his thirst. And and uh, yet, uh, God's silent. God's not saying anything. And uh, I suspect some of our listeners have been there where things seem to be getting worse and worse and dragging on and dragging on and you keep praying and yet God doesn't change anything. God doesn't give you a new job. Doesn't God doesn't take away that obnoxious person in your life. Yeah. Uh, God doesn't change your finances. Uh, things just keep on being hard and you keep on thinking, God, surely you are going to do something. You're going to change something. Yeah. But uh, God just asks Elijah just to keep being faithful and... Uh, and I've had a lot of people say to me, well, I just feel like I, sh- th- th- I should be doing something different. Uh, something needs to change. What should I do? And uh, I'll ask, well, has God given you any direction yet? And they'll say, no, I, but I, I, you know, what do I do, though? I, things are becoming unbearable. And basically, I think sound biblical advice is until you receive a new word from God, faithfully keep doing the last thing God mm-hmm. told you to do. And so even though the water is almost completely stopped flowing at this point, Elijah stays at the last place God told him to be. He just stays at his post. And then finally, when the water is completely gone, God says, all right, now get up and go. And uh, he has kind of an interesting command. He says, go to Zarephath, which uh, is near Sidon. And uh, of course, those are places, those aren't in Israel. Those are outside of Israel. Here, Elijah is being prepared to bring revival to Israel. He's the greatest preacher that uh, Israel has. Now God says, don't even live in Israel. Go unto Gentile territory. And of course, he's a Jewish uh, man. And Jewish uh, religious people did not eat with Gentiles. Uh, You could be defiled. You'd be unclean. 
And God is saying, live in the home of a Gentile widow, a woman, which uh, I, I like to laugh and say, Billy Graham couldn't have performed that role because he would never stay in the home of a woman, even if she had a child living there. It wouldn't mm-hmm. have been, it wouldn't have looked right. Uh, and she's, she's a widow. Uh, she's impoverished. She, in fact, we're going to yeah. learn that she's about to eat her last meal and then starve to death. Uh, why would God, of all the places God could have provided for Israel, why would he say, I want you to go to a starving, impoverished widow and basically ask for charity, ask for a handout, um, take food right out of the mouth of her only child. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and not only that, but this uh, Sidon, of course, is the the hometown of Jezebel. That's where Jezebel has come from. Her father is named Eth Baal. He's the king of Sidon. And Zarephath is kind of a satellite uh, village outside of Sidon. Uh, so these are all Baal worshipers. This widow is a Baal worshiper. Uh, and so again, the provision of God is fascinating sometimes. Yeah. Where you would just say, God, surely you've got some Jewish widow somewhere that could provide for me. Uh, surely there's a, a God believer that I could go and stay with. But you're you're sending me to a, a Baal worshiping, starving widow. Uh, this just can't make sense, God. This can't be right. Uh, but at verse 10, once again, it says, So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he gets there, there's an interesting story as you read that, where Elijah sees a widow and says, could you make, could you get me some water? And, and the widow says she'll do that. And then he says, could you make me a small loaf of bread? And that's when the widow says, well, actually, I've only got a little bit of flour left and a, a, a little oil. I'm going to make one last loaf of bread. My son and I are going to eat it, and then we're going to starve to death. <laughs> and at that point, I just think to myself, if I were Elijah, I probably would have at that point said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I must have the wrong widow. (laughs) This is so awkward. Uh, I was looking for a widow who had groceries uh, because (laughs) she's supposed to be feeding me. Uh, Carry on. Uh, Are there other widows in town you might point me to? Uh, But, uh, of course, as the story goes on, he says, don't fear. Just make make, give me some of that bread first. And I thought a lot, as you read chapter 17, one of the things that struck me was uh, life keeps getting harder for Elijah. And the question I have is, if I were Elijah, at what point would I break? Yeah. At what point would I say, God, I can't do that. Uh, that that's too hard. Too far. Because, of course, if you're going to be fashioned to be the greatest leader of your age or of, of maybe any age, uh, that means you've got to stay in the fire longer. You've got to go through a more rigorous training than the average person. And uh, at some point, you're going to break. You're going to, you, you may break. And so when God said... I've got a very difficult assignment that could get you killed. Uh, Elijah handled that. And then God says, okay, I'm going to put you in a wilderness where you're all alone. Nobody there to support you, thank you, comfort you. And uh, and Elijah handles the, the isolation, the wilderness. But now God is saying, I want you to humble yourself and ask for charity from a starving widow. Uh, and I'll tell you what, for a lot of people, that's, that would be, uh, the drop off zone. Right. I've, uh, I've often thought to myself, uh, you know, God, I, I would, I would just starve. Let me starve, but don't ask me to take food out of the mouth of a starving little boy. Uh, it doesn't seem gentlemanly. Yeah. Uh, I've had the opportunity to go to, uh, uh, the graveyard where most of the, uh, victims of the Titanic are buried 
in, uh, in Eastern Canada. And one of the things that strikes you as you go down row upon row of, of the, the, the dead is how many male names there are. Most of the names of the dead are all men. And of course, the reason for that is pretty obvious. It's because most of the women and children got on the lifeboats. Uh, the men stayed behind. Uh, they, it was the gentlemanly thing to do. You went down with the ship, but you let the women and children get on the boats. Uh, and it almost seems as if God's telling Elijah, don't be a man. Uh, yeah. go ahead and ask for the remaining food from this widow and her son, uh, ask for a handout. And I, and I know a lot of leaders that just don't want to ask for help. Yeah. Uh, they, they, never they don't do want that. a handout. Uh, don't demean yourself. I, I literally, I've known pastors, they'd rather just end their ministry than have to reach out to someone else and ask for help. Yeah. Could you give me advice? Uh, could you help me with this? Uh, it's, it's so shameful. It's so humbling that for a lot of folks, they just can't do it. Right. Uh, but Elijah, that's, he's told to do that. And so he goes and he seems, uh, and he seems surprisingly confident. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, we don't want to miss this. Uh, this is a, a Baal worshiping Gentile woman. And here comes this man of God, a man who worships the God of Israel. And he says, before you feed your starving child, his final meal, give me some of your food. And she does. Uh, to me, that's one of the, the greatest acts of faith you're going to find in the Bible. And it's done by a woman who doesn't believe in God. It's amazing. Now she will before the story's done. But I don't want you to miss what a profound act of faith that was. Yeah. And she had no idea, right? I mean, because you'd think to yourself, God, you're asking this woman to give way more than she can afford. Uh, she can't afford to give anything away to, to right. Elijah. Uh, and sometimes it can seem as if God is asking too much of us. He's asking us to make too great of a sacrifice. But of course, uh, we know by the end of this story that this woman's only child is going to die. And it just will so happen that down in her guest room is the greatest man of God on the planet who will actually raise her son from the dead. And now you look at that and you say, weren't you fortunate yeah. that when this man asked you to make this great sacrifice that you were willing to do it because, because you made that sacrifice, your son that is going to die will be raised back to life. Uh, and if you ask that woman at the end of the story, did God ask too much for you? Did, was the price that God made you pay too great? She'd laugh and say, yeah. all I had to do is give up a little bit of bread, of flour and oil. But in return, I got the life of my son back. What I've discovered is God is no person's debtor. You'll never outgive God. Hmm. He'll never ask so much of you that you think, boy, I sure came up short in that exchange. Uh, God will always hmm. pay more and give more when the day is done. And so, uh, so Elijah just stays with this widow for the next, um, we're not sure how long. The whole drought lasted three and a half years. So we know he was in the wilderness for some of that time. And then with this widow, he may have been with a widow two years or so. If you can imagine for two years dwelling in a humble little cottage with this widow and her son. And again, this is the greatest preacher in Israel. And uh, things are looking up because in the wilderness, he had a congregation of zero. Now he's had a 200% increase in attendance and he has now two people the, the growth charts are looking good. <laughs> and if, can you imagine if Elijah went to a local ministerial meeting 
and uh, another pastor met him and said, hey, where, where, where are you serving? Oh, First Church uh, Zarephath. Oh, how, how many are you running over there? <laughs> Elijah would say two. Uh, and neither one of them has joined yet. Neither one is a believer yet. Uh, you're <laughs> yeah. preaching to two people, uh, and and that's all? Uh, I can imagine the other ministers kind of chuckling and thinking, well, let's not have this guy preach at our next annual meeting. He, he clearly can't be much of a preacher if he's only attracted two people. Mm. Um, and yet, if you'd ask God, what's your opinion of Elijah? God would have said, greatest servant I've got. Well, how, how could the greatest servant you have only have a flock of two people? Well, because that wasn't the end of the story for Elijah. Yeah. He was being prepared. And I always keep telling people when they're going through difficult times, just remember this, you're being prepared. This isn't the end of the, this isn't the last chapter yet. Yeah. Uh, God's taking you through this because you're not yet the man or woman that you need to be for the assignment that's still coming. And so, uh, here is this great preacher and he's told just, just say grace every day. That's, and just, just wait. Um, and so then you think again, well, things can't get any worse. And then, and then they do. You you would be wrong again. Uh, It gets, uh, down to verse 17 and it says all of a sudden the boy, the little boy dies. Now you think about this, uh, this Elijah has had this little boy as his only little companion for maybe two years. Yeah. Uh, Elijah's not hanging out at local coffee shops. He, he's a, a, a Jewish uh, prophet in a Gentile bell worshiping territory. Uh, and so he's got this little boy and one day he dies and the mother comes to him and points an accusing finger at him and says, Have, are you just mocking me? Are you just persecuting and punishing me because I don't believe in your God? Can you imagine the heartache? You, you just had half your church membership die, and the other half is now leaving your church. <laughs> uh, things can't get much lower than that. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so it says Elijah takes the little boy, takes him up to his room, puts him down on his bed, leans over him three times, and cries out to God. And there's several things just to point out here as we wrap up this story. One is he prays over the boy three times. And uh, that's interesting to me. Uh, and again, you want to ask yourself, why does he pray three times? Yeah. And I think that the simple answer is because that's how many times it took. He prayed the first time, nothing happened. He prayed the second time, nothing happened. And I've often thought to myself, what if he stopped after the second time? I've often been haunted about that myself. What if I quit right before God was about to say yes? Hmm. What if I just persevered a little bit longer. What if God knew if I, if he prays three times, I'm saying yes. But after two times I grew weary and thought, well, what's the point? Uh, It it makes it hard to ever want to quit, especially when it comes to prayer. He prays three times and God finally says yes. Uh, And, uh, and it's interesting because it says uh, he cried out to God. Now, now I just want to point out the fact there is a profound difference between saying a prayer and crying out to God. Uh, We all say sort of some formulaic kind of simplistic prayer sometimes. But then there comes those moments of desperation where you cry out with everything you have. And there's absolutely you're you're just not going to settle for anything less than than God responding at that time. And that's. That, and by the way, just what I notice about this is that when Elijah starts out in verse one, he's already the greatest preacher in the land. He knows how to preach. We often tend to think that revival will come through great preaching, but he already was a great preacher. 
but God takes three and a half years to teach Elijah how to pray. Hmm. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, he knew how to preach, but apparently he didn't know how to pray as he, as he wanted, God wanted him to, because it's not to the very end of this chapter that he starts crying out to God. And so when he cries out to God that third time, the boy's life returns to him. Elijah picks up the boy, takes him down to his mother. And I can just imagine the grin on Elijah's face, the sense of relief. Whoa, that was a close one. I almost lost that one. Can you imagine the smile on his face when he brings that boy back to his mother? Uh, By the way, you know, what's interesting to me is what do you think he was preaching to this mother for all the time he was there in her house? He was preaching Hey, God loves you. God wants the best for you. Trust in God. Things will be good for you. And then what happens? Her boy dies. I'll tell you what, if I were God, I would have been blessing the boy's socks off. I would have made him the healthiest, strongest boy in the whole village. Yeah. Uh, That's our way of doing things. Right. But, uh, and I don't know if you've ever been there where you were, you were trying to tell people and convince them about God and his goodness. And then it seemed as if things got worse instead of better. I don't know if you've ever gotten frustrated to say, God, look, you're not helping me yeah. here. I keep yeah. telling people if they'll just trust God, their life will be great. And then their life got worse. Uh, you got to help me. You got to back me up here. Uh, so many confusing things that happen in Elijah's life. But uh, by the very last verse in that chapter, this woman says, now by this, I know that you are a man of God. Uh, it's interesting to me because, I mean, what has this woman been experiencing every day in her kitchen? Every day, there's been a miracle. She goes back Bottomless to Bottomless flower. Yeah, this flower that never ends, oil. oil that never ends. And it's like, you've been having a miracle every day and you didn't believe. You had Elijah as your pastor and you didn't believe. What did it take for you to finally believe in God? Well, it took the worst crisis in your life. If God could bless us into believing in him, God would just pour blessings upon us Mm. without end. But when God blesses us, we tend to forget God. We become spoiled and indulgent, and we become focused on the blessing, not the blesser. But when God allows crises to come in our life, that's often when he does his best work, Mm. when when he finally gets our attention. And uh, it's not until this woman experiences the worst crisis in her life that she finally believes. And so we come to the end of chapter 17, and uh, three and a half years has passed, and you're in chapter 18 awaits the greatest day in Elijah's life. And we'll pick up on this next week, but it is interesting to me that uh, it chapter 18 basically encompasses one day. It's an amazing day. Yeah. It's in a day that uh, shakes the entire nation. But it took God three and a half years to get Elijah ready for one day's work. Uh, what does that tell you about the nature of God? Mm. He uh, he doesn't skip the preparation. Would God take three and a half years to prepare you for an awesome one day of service uh, that had long-lasting impact? He would. I think that the reason there are not more Elijahs today is because there's so few people willing to go to the school of Elijah and stay in the fire until God says, now you're ready. Mm. Uh, My hope for each listener today is if God has you in that fire right now, uh, he's not putting you there just to make you suffer. He's putting you there so you're ready for what's coming. And uh, in these days in which we live in America, I think that we need to take our leadership to a level it's never been. And for that, it means uh, God's rather unusual way of preparing people. Mm. And just trust God's hand to stay where he's placed you until he tells you you're ready for what's coming next. 
Well, if you if you want to dive deeper into this study, um, the book is Living Out of the Overflow, and uh, we'll leave links to that in the show notes. Um, you can find it on Amazon as well. Um, but we will continue this mini-series on the life and leadership of Elijah. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.